All right. If you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to find Ephesians chapter 4. We are going to start in Ephesians 4. Um, I'm not going to read through our entire passage for today like I often do, because our passage is the whole second half of Ephesians 4, all of Ephesians 5, and the start of Ephesians 6. All right, and so we do not necessarily, we've been going through the book of Ephesians, we don't follow like chapter, verse, paragraph, all that stuff was added in later. What we're trying to do is follow some of the specific themes that the Apostle Paul was putting into this letter as he was writing it. All right, and so essentially the whole first half of this letter was the Apostle Paul kind of just talking about God trying to restore the relationship with humanity and what his plan was for that. All right, um, and then we move into the second half of the letter. We started that last week, and this is now him saying, hey, this is what it looks like. Like, if you want to move back into this relationship with God, this is what it looks like to live that type of a life. And so we started it last week um, at the beginning of chapter 4, uh, but I do want to do this. I'm not going to read through it, but I still would love, if you're willing, if you're able, would you stand with me? I want to just kind of pray as we open up this uh, this area of the Bible and just kind of start off with the right attitude this morning here as we do this. So, uh, Jesus, we, we may have read this passage before. God, we might recognize verses that are in this. Maybe we've even done um, studies on this, but or maybe this is the very first time that we've ever heard this. God, I pray that no matter where we are, that, that today there would be something that you are speaking to us that we'd be challenged by, we'd be changed by. And when we walk out of here, that we would be a different person from when from the person that walked in here. God, because every time we spend time in your presence, Lord, we want to be changed by that, and we expect that, and uh, that is our desire of our heart, Lord. So we, we ask that this morning in your name. Amen. All right, why don't you have a seat? So again, the, the first half of the letter, retelling this rescue story that God has in motion. Second half of this letter is now, what does that look like? And I want to jump in right on verse 17, because what the Apostle Paul does here, he he slips something in here kind of subtly, all right? And so I'm going to read verse 17 here. Um, and this is important, the way he kind of sets up this entire chunk. So he says, With the Lord's authority, I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. All right, now this is kind of funny what he's doing here because the readers are reading this. All right, how many of us remember, who is this letter written to? Okay, it's the church in Ephesus. What is the makeup of this church in Ephesus? It has both Jewish believers who are coming from a Jewish background and Gentile believers. Okay, and so he's speaking to Gentiles, and yet he's telling them, don't live like the Gentiles. You know, it's kind of like when you're like disciplining one of your kids, and you're doing it like in front of the other one, and you're like, hey, don't do what that one's doing, and you're like hoping they pick up on it. Or, you know, like it's kind of this like weird, like Paul's like, don't live like the Gentiles. And I'm sure all the Gentiles in the room are like, geez, Paul, like, we're trying. What you know, but but here's here's what he's doing with this. Um, he is talking to them as if they are no longer Gentiles. He he doesn't seem to consider them to be part of that group. And, and I want us to keep reading verse 18. It says, uh, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. All right, so the way that we see Paul continue this, he is not talking to all Gentiles, right? 
Like he, he has a certain group that he's referencing, and that's Gentiles who are not following Jesus. Now, remember that up until this point um, in the world, the way that Jewish people would talk about it, there was only two groups of people in the world. There, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Gentiles is everybody who is not Jewish. All right, it was a really easy way for them to basically, the entire world is made up of two groups. Now, as Paul is talking here, um, he still is talking about Gentiles as, as like this group over here, as this other group. But at the same time, um, he's not writing to them. He's not writing to just Jewish people. There seems to be this new group and, and a group where their primary, primary identity is not Jewish or Gentile. Their primary identity is in Jesus. Uh, and, and this is hard because if you were here a few weeks ago, you're probably sitting here saying, um, okay, Pastor Josiah, you seem to be saying the exact opposite of what we just talked about a few weeks ago. Because we talked about this idea that even though they were coming together, it wasn't just this one new group where everything else was forgotten. Like that we were still supposed to hold our diversity as we kind of step into this family of God. And it's a both and. And and this is one of those spots, like there's so many spots in scripture, so many spots in following God, where it is not an easy, clear-cut, like this is how everything is. Um, And what it is, is a phrase that another pastor has used that I I like, and I've kind of grasped onto, is he says, this is not a problem to be solved, like there isn't like a specific solution to this. It is a tension to be managed. It's always going to be there, and you have to manage this tension. And so there is this tension, as Paul is talking to this early church, of you aren't part of that group, you're not part of that group, you're kind of this new group, and yet at the same time, inside of this new group, you have not lost what makes you unique. You still have your own ethnic background, you still have your own ways that God has made you, you still have your own giftings. And Paul will go back and forth on this. And, and the problem is we often just jump right to verses like this one or we jump right to verses where Paul is saying there is no man or woman or, or Jew or Gentile or slave or free and he like is going through this list. And we think of those ones and we're like, well, no, we're just like this one homogenous group. And you're like, well, no, we aren't. God made each one of us very unique and that was on purpose. He is not looking for us to be a homogenous group. And when we move forward to the book of Revelation, we see that every tribe, every tongue, every language has come together. And yet they are still worshiping in their own tribe, tongue, language. So it's this one group that is made up of these other groups. And so you can see where I'm getting here. There, there is a tension to be managed. This is not a simple, clear cut, um, like, oh, you easily have these three groups. All right, and so that's kind of what's, what's going on here. Uh, and, and what Paul is doing is he wants, I think we need to feel this tension. We are meant to see this new identity, this new humanity in Jesus, but at the same time, not lose that diversity that this incredibly creative God, our creative God, made us with. All right, so we have to be able to hold both of those things at the same time and be okay with that. All right, and Paul right here, he begins to talk to this group about their identity. And this is the way in which he moves forward with the discussion, all right? Um, Remember, the second half of the book is, this is how you should live. And so we might expect to see just a full list of do's and don'ts, right? Because that's what we often think of church in the Bible, is it just is going to tell me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And yet the way that Paul actually builds this entire conversation 
is off of the idea of identity. Like your identity is so important. So instead of just jumping in and saying like your actions should change, like you should change the way you behave, uh, you should modify your behavior, he starts at an even more core issue. Paul's stance would be that your actions change, but not because you've just chosen to choose your actions. Your actions change because who you are at your core has changed. And when your identity changes, then the way that you act, the way that you behave changes. That sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but that's incredibly important for us to understand because it is possible to jump over that and just go to to behavior modification and say, I'm going to try and live the best way I can. I'm going to be the best person. I'm, I'm going to be good. I'm going to do good. And yet we have not allowed who we are and our, our identity and our core to actually be changed by God. And anytime you jump over that, this is not going to last. It isn't. You're going to get sick of it. And so Paul is saying right here, he's addressing them and he's addressing their identity. And right off the bat, he's saying, this has to change. Because behaviors, they're, they're just a symptom of something greater. They are the symptom of your heart and what is going on inside. And God wants to see that heart change. And he wants to see an overflow of that heart change. And that's where our behaviors begin to change. It's not just about choosing to do good. Scripturally speaking, that's what we see in the Pharisees' life. That being a follower of Jesus wasn't about their heart. It was about how well can I follow all of the rules. All right? And Paul's saying your identity is no longer a Gentile. Your identity is no longer as a Jewish person. Your identity is this new humanity that claims allegiance to Jesus, the Messiah and our King. And as you step into this new identity, your old identity should be thrown off, thrown away in verse 22 is kind of what he says. And he talks about this change of heart literally as taking off an old set of clothes, okay, letting the Spirit renew your mind and putting on a new set. Like, that's, that's the analogy that he uses here, all right? Um, and, and now most of us know that that actually isn't always easy. Okay, how many of you guys, like, really do not look forward to getting a new pair of jeans? Or maybe a new pair of shoes or a new pair of whatever it be? Because you're like, I like what I have. I've kind of broken it in. It's comfortable. It's got all the, you know, holes in the pockets right where I want them so I can lose my keys and... You know, what am I supposed to do with this new pair of pants? I have no excuse when I lose my keys now. You know, and so like changing a new set of clothes like that, it's actually not always super easy. Because we like to be comfortable. We like what, what the life that we've kind of built. And so I think it's actually kind of a perfect analogy because of that. Because Paul's saying, you know, taking off this, this old set and putting on this new one, it's not going to always be comfortable. It's not always going to go super smooth. And then over the next 26 verses here, he says, I'm going to kind of paraphrase these. He goes into, okay, if your heart, if your identity has been changed, then there's other things that are going to change, kind of between these two humanities, okay? And, and, and what is interesting about these comparisons is that many of the things he's talking about are not things that are done in isolation. I think a lot of people think of Christianity as like, how good am I on my own? Am I choosing to do the right things? 
But that's not the picture that we are given in the New Testament at all. Christianity is about this community where we live together. And I think because we live in a hyper-individualized society, everything becomes about us. And Christianity becomes about us. And baptism is about what is God doing in your life. And there is a part of that. But we're missing this piece of what does it mean to be part of a community? You know, we get to the end of a message, and what does that mean to me, and how am I changing my life? Okay, well, what does that actually mean to you in regards to a community and living together with others? And we, we, we over-individualize things so often. And so you'll see in this list that he's talking about, a lot of these things have to do with how do you interact with people around you? Because bringing a new community together, it's, it's difficult. And so here's kind of his list, and, and, and notice this, he compares it. And he'll give, like, this is the old clothes, this is the old way of living, and this is the new way of living. Okay, and the opposite isn't always like, you know, here's this, and the opposite is just don't do that. It often calls us to something even greater and higher. So, like, um, so in this first one, he, he talks about lying versus telling the truth. All right, and, and this, again, it involves other people. This is not an individual thing. Like, don't individualize this. Like, how are you talking and interacting with other people? And he kind of says, the old clothes, like, we, we like to lie. The new one is telling the truth. And there is a middle ground here that we would all say is, is, should fall under lying, but lots of times we, we put ourselves in there. Right? There's something where you're not lying, but you're also not telling the whole truth. And we like to try and ride that ground. And, and Paul here, as he compares these things, he's not leaving any gray room for that. He's saying, the old you used to lie. The new you, it's not just you can't say anything that's wrong. You actually have to say the things that are right. You have to take that extra step. You have to move a little further. The next one is anger versus peace. And with anger, he doesn't say like, you know, don't be angry. Because there's moments where you're going to be angry, especially bringing these communities together. But he says, don't let your anger move you to sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't harbor those bitter anger feelings. And so he, he kind of goes into this and he talks about peace. The next one he talks about is stealing versus generosity. Again, it's not just don't steal. It's be generous with what you have. And so he keeps comparing these things. The next one, gossip versus encouragement. If you hear someone who's kind of like, you know, passing something on, you know, the, the small town gossip chain that's going on. Um, it's not just enough to like walk away and shut that down. Like I think at times instead, like if someone's talking about someone, what if you just very purposefully, awkwardly say, oh, I absolutely love that person. They're so great. They, they just, they're just the best person. They're so friendly. They're so kind. And you just immediately start having these words of encouragement in that conversation. Is the other person going to continue to talk poorly of them? No, it's super awkward. <laughs> it's immediately going to shut that down. Okay, so it's not enough just to be like, I'm not going to participate in that. I'm actually going to go a step further. I'm going to be encouraging in these things. Revenge versus forgiveness. You know, revenge starts to come and we hold on to that anger and we get bitter and we, we look for small or large ways to try and hurt someone the same way that they hurt us. Sexual immorality or impurity versus having self-control. You know, our world tells us if you want it and it's not going to hurt anybody, then there's nothing wrong and just go for it. And, and everything is about, like, what makes you feel good. 
And Paul's saying, no, this is, this is about self-control. This is about denying ourselves at times of something that maybe you want, but you realize just isn't the best for you. Vulgar language versus thankfulness or gratitude. And then we have this verse that comes, and it's, it's pretty harsh. Chapter 5, verse 5, and he says, You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. You know, if I were to think of like, okay, out of this whole list, which big things is Paul going to grab and say, this is going to discount you from being part of what God's doing? I don't know if in my mind greed would have made the top of that list. And I don't know if that's because I'm biased and I'm like, there are many times in my life where I am selfish and greedy. But it just like, I think we just live in such a self-centered, self-focused world and society that we're okay with greed until it reaches a certain point. And then we're like, oh, no more. But we've kind of given greed this pass. And, and Paul is pretty, pretty blunt about this. Like, you are not part of this new humanity if you are greedy. Now, all of this can sound like a big list of do's and don'ts, um, but it isn't. Like, there, there's, this list is so much more concerned about how you treat other humans than just your individual actions. The way that we treat other people who are made in the image of God. It's so heavily focused on community. Because again, that, he has said, like that's how the world is going to take notice of what God is doing. Is how your community interacts. The way that you love each other. The way that you are selfless with each other. That's how God is going to be glorified. And the language that Paul uh, keeps using here is, is that of like light and darkness. He said this in verse 8. He says, For once you were full of darkness, and now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And then he gives one more little instruction and, and kind of a group of comparisons before he brings in some specific examples of how this plays out. So verse 15, he says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And what's interesting about this is the way in which Paul seems to think about wisdom, I don't think is the same way that I often would have. Uh, I think for most of us, we think of being wise as something that, that happens up here, right? Like it's our thought process, it's in our mind, like all these different things. Um, it's thinking, and kind of the, the classic phrase that I always remember hearing is like, you know, kind of the comparison of knowledge and wisdom. They're like, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting that tomato into a fruit salad. You know, and it's kind of like the application of it. And so, but there is like, wisdom seems to actually have some actions to it in the way that Paul talks about it. He talks about it differently here with actions and it has to do with how you live and what does living wisely look like? He says this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. It's living in a way where you are thinking that at any moment, any moment in my life could be significant 
and used by God. That, that's what living with wisdom is. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. How often do we just live our lives? Like we just go about living our life. How many things have you done today with really not thinking about it? Because you just, you, you get up and you do it and you go through the, the motions and you get ready and you hop in the car and you drive somewhere and you get out and you, you fill up with gas and all, all these different things. What if we did things with some intentionality? What if we chose where we fill up with gas based on building with relationships with employees that work there? It would require us then to actually go inside and not pay at the pump. <laughs> All right, like what if, what if we chose the checkout lane at the grocery store based on the cashier, not based on which line was shortest and was going to get me through here the fastest? Because you're like, you know what? I, I, I want to build a relationship with that cashier. I want to encourage them today. I want to say something to them. I want to make their day better. What if we chose the path that we drove home on based on who we might see outside in their yard and we can slow down and roll our window down and holler out and talk with them for a little bit? Like so many things that we do without ever thinking about it, right? What if we started to live with intentionality? But, but here's the thing, and so if you're taking notes, like you can write this down, like living intentionally requires way more time but it has a far greater impact. Like you cannot live intentionally and constantly run from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. If you are that type of person where you're always like leaving just a couple minutes late and getting to the next thing a couple minutes late, maybe you need to start to look at your calendar and schedule things with a little bit more margin. And I am absolutely 100% preaching this in the mirror right now. Okay, like this is me. Because when, when we actually go through and we look at Jesus' life and ministry, I, like, I challenge you, go look at how many of the amazing, miraculous moments that happen in Jesus' life that happen when he is interrupted as he's going from one place to another. Like when you count up the miracles, I, someone had said the other day, I thought it was more than this, but they're like, it, it's, it's over 50% of the miracles are like interruptions in Jesus' life. And you have to have time to slow down to see that interruption first. Then you have to have the mindset to not think of it as an interruption, but to think of it as an opportunity, right? And then you have to be willing to be patient and slow down and actually show love in that moment instead of annoyance because I'm late for the next thing. Like living intentionally is difficult, which is why most of us don't do it on the given day. But what if we did? What if we started to live that way? The impact that we could have. This is what the new humanity, the new way of living looks like. This is what Paul's saying. Do you live in such a way that when your name is brought up in a group of people, that you've had an impact on, on someone there or maybe someone they know, and like when your name's brought up in a group of people, they're just like, oh yeah, I really, oh, that person's awesome. They've just made such a difference in my life. Or I have a friend and they speak so highly of that person because of what they've done in their life. Like, are we living that type of life in our communities? Because if, if we go back to what Paul says we put on, the new clothes of the new humanity, 
If you are truthful and peaceful and generous and encouraging and forgiving and a thankful person who has self-control and is living intentionally, it is going to be really hard for people to say bad things about you. It just is. And this is the picture that Paul's painting for us here. That our reputation with people outside of even this community, like it, it matters. We should be grieved when our actions hurt other people. Paul cares greatly about the way we live in community. And then he says uh, this matter-of-fact line, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. He's going to move on and say, instead be filled with the Spirit. And I'm just going to say this. I think that at times churches have become uh, potentially too legalistic on certain things. All right? And, and maybe that's been your experience in the past. Um, I'll tell you right now, you will not find anywhere in the Bible that it says that you cannot drink alcohol. All right? But this is something where people need to be able to take a step back and, and think about themselves. And maybe you're sitting here today saying, I know that I can't. Maybe because of your past, your history, or you've seen it generationally in your family, and you're like, this is not something that's for me. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, oh, well, I, I do this here, you know, and I like to celebrate things. We do this, and I have a glass of wine with a steak, or, you know, whatever it might be. All right, what, what the Bible often is concerned about is, like, do you have a healthy relationship with different things? And, and the only thing I'm saying this is, is potentially, maybe you're here today, and you need to stop and think, what is my relationship to alcohol? Or fill in the blank. Maybe there's something else that God's putting on your heart right now. Do I need to maybe take a step back and reevaluate for a little bit? Maybe I need to take three, six months off and then kind of step back in in a healthy way because the same thing could be said about food and sugar and our phones and TV and almost anything out there. Like, we can have a really unhealthy relationship that we need to step back at times. Like, I'll do that where I'm like, you know what, man, I just, I'm, I'm deleting my social media apps off my phone. God, this is just, you know, I'm like, I'll just delete it for a couple months and then try and, when I download it again, have a little bit of a healthier relationship with this. And so maybe this morning, even in just this, like, blunt phrase that Paul has there, maybe you just need a little bit of, like, a, a wake-up call of, like, okay, what in your life do you maybe have an unhealthy relationship with? All right. And then he gives four things that are a result of living full of the Spirit, verses 19 to 21. And this is funny because this is not what I think most of us would think. The first two have to do with singing. <laughs> and some of you guys are like, oh, come on. It's like my least favorite part. He says singing together, singing alone, being thankful and submitting to others. That, this is an interesting list of what happens when living filled with the Spirit, okay? And the first two of them have to do with singing. And so uh, Paul has painted this beautiful picture of having this new identity in Jesus, changes who we are to the core, and therefore begins to change the way we think, talk, act, treat the world around us. And he lays out all these different things that should change. And if we're truly changed by Jesus, then we should see this difference in our life. And then he gives three quick real-life examples that I'm just going to gloss over really fast here. All right. Um, and, and these are these would have been relationships that would have been prevalent in the early church's life, and I think in many of our lives. Uh, and, and each one of these relationships that Paul talks about is actually going to talk about 
places where there is power and control and authority from one group potentially over another one. And, and maybe that's culturally or things like that. Okay, and so Paul seems to be interested when you have these relationships that are not standing on, on, on equal ground culturally, and he wants to speak into that. And what's interesting is he, he starts talking to the, the one in, in the relationship that culturally speaking would not have the, the power and the authority and the control in the relationship. All right? And everyone would expect that. But then Paul flips it on its head and he talks to the other half and he says, oh, by the way, like this is even more intense for you. All right? And, and I love seeing this. This is, on Mondays, a lot of my life is, is surrounding this idea of power and control and, and things like that. I actually, I, uh, I co-facilitate the class for Todd in Wadena County um, that is for men's domestic violence classes. And so if someone is court-ordered in either one of those counties to go to a class, they get to come hang out with me. And I love that. <laughs> and we talk through this whole idea of it's called the power and control wheel. Um, and all the different ways that in relationships, when you don't have equal footing, how people can begin to um, have control over you. And how they can kind of push you down and, and things like that. And so Paul kind of jumps into this here. And he addresses these. Um, and so he, he starts off. Uh, talking about this, and, and he goes to husbands and wives, and he talks first to the wife in this, um, and, and he's kind of sitting there, and he's saying like, hey, uh, wives, you need to, you need to uh, submit to your husbands, all right? And often when, when these verses, Emily and I will meet with couples as they're getting married, and, and these verses will come up, and for some reason we like to say these verses at at weddings, and sometimes that's good, sometimes it feels really awkward. But what I always tell couples is this. Only read the part that is addressed to you. Where this gets in trouble is when you start reminding your, the other half of what their part is supposed to be. Okay, so I'll just say that right now too. If you're in a relationship today, don't go home reminding your significant other of what their role is, okay? This is, this is focusing on us, all right? Um, and, and so it's just kind of interesting. He's talking to the wife, and I think everyone hearing this letter in Ephesus would have been like, yep, 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 absolutely, that's how we live our lives. And then Paul takes this crazy turn, and he says, Husbands, love your wives the same way in which Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? How did he show his love? He died. He gave up everything. Which one of those two things there is going to be more, is a higher weight to pay? <laughs> All right, when you're talking here and it's like, whoa, everyone in the room would have been like, wait a minute, hold on. We were with you on the first half. Wives, submit to your husband. Yep. Husbands, die for your wife. Come again? What? What? You know, and, and even more so like culturally at that time. And Paul is just like this, this shocking in these relationships where there doesn't seem to be a matched uh, level of control and power in there. Then he moves on to children and parents. Children, obey your parents. Yep, amen. Then he flips it again. Parents, he, sa he says fathers. This really would have kind of meant probably both parents in this. You know, he says fathers, and fathers need to hear this more often anyways. You know, do not provoke your children to anger. 
What? That's like my favorite pastime. I love doing that. And what does that even mean? Well, I think sometimes, like practically speaking, how do our kids get upset with us as parents? Like in legitimate ways, okay? Not because we disciplined them and took this away and, and said they can't eat candy for every single meal. No, kids get upset with parents when parents are inconsistent in their parenting. There's very few things that are more frustrating, I think, for a child that is growing up in a very concrete world, not understanding abstract ideas, where one day the parents like, don't do that. The next day the parents tired, so they don't really care and they let them do it. The next day it's like super harsh. The next day I don't really know. That, that, would, that makes children angry. They, I'm saying this for them. They don't have the words to say that. But it does. Inconsistent parenting. Also just unrealistic expectations. Not letting kids be a kid. Kids run around and they holler and this and but we had a bad day at work, so we're going to sit there and yell at them because be quiet. They're being kids. Like there, there's some really practical things here of just like don't, don't anger children in ways that are completely unfair to them. And who is the more shocking expectation here from Paul? I think parents do. And the last one he goes to is slaves and masters. And, and this is... There's some cultural things here that we need to understand, and, and I'm not even going to go into all of it. But, like, unfortunately, these verses right here were used 150 years ago in our country to say that the transatlantic slave trade was not only okay, but it was, like, God-ordained because we see it in the Bible. And it's just, like, it's awful when verses get pulled out and used in terrible ways like this. Uh, what we need to understand is this. Like, at, at their time... Slavery did look a little bit different. And so Paul's talking about this, and he actually is actually, he's planting the seeds for abolition, for slavery to go away. But you can't just march into Rome and, and upset their entire economic system because you'll just be killed. That's what Rome does. And at this time, like anywhere from 10 to 30% of Rome's population is thought to actually be slaves. It's a huge group. But slaves at that time were people that were captured in wars and in battles. Like that's, that, that would be a group. But the main group is what was called a bond slave, which simply meant this. There's no bankruptcy. There's no unemployment. There's no welfare. There's no, if you, like, if you start a business and things go poorly and you're a, a bad blacksmith, like you're not going to make it. And pretty soon you don't have anything. And what your option is at that point is hopefully to find someone that you know, hopefully even a friend who is wealthy, who will then purchase you. Purchase your children, purchase your family. And then you are going to work for them trying to basically get back out of debt. Now when you do that, you lose everything. You are now property to that person. Now, Everyone was working towards this type of thing. And many people, actually not all, but many people were able to work out of slavery back into a regular life. So this is a very different idea than what our country understood as slavery. And, and so Paul's talking here. And he says, hey, slaves, obey your masters. And, and work for them in a way where you're working for God. Have that type of a mindset. But then he flips this and he says, Masters, you should be treating them the same way. You should have deep respect 
for them. You should serve them. You should please them. Because even though you think you are the master in this relationship, you aren't. Because there's only one master. And by the way, that master sees both of you equally. That's what Paul says here. And so you can see Paul flips these relationships kind of on their head and says, okay, we're not going to go with just culturally what the world around us says the dynamics of these relationships should be. We're going to take that a step further because that's what the new humanity looks like. So he has this wild way of approaching it. It looks nothing like the world that they live in. And it isn't just changing the way that you do things. It's about how you interact with other image bearers of God. Let's do this. Let's just stand. I want to close this here, but I want to challenge us. I think some of us in the room right now have relationships in our life that we need to rethink what those relationships look like, what those dynamics look like. I think some of us might be sitting here, you know, the, the question for today is this, like, has, has this new humanity actually taken root in your life? Or did you just decide that you want to start going to church at some point and that's just been continuing? It's just what you do on Sundays. Or would you say that at some point you truly started the process of taking off that old humanity then allowing the Spirit to renew you, renew your mind, and then actively stepping into these new things. Because I think a lot of people, they're good with this. They take that off, and then they sit here. And they never actually put the effort and the action into stepping into a new humanity that makes a difference for God's kingdom in this world. And so for some of us, maybe you're sitting here saying, have I actually laid this down? If the answer is yes, if you feel like I, I've moved away from that way of living, okay, have you allowed God then to renew your mind, to renew the way that you view things and approach things? Have you allowed that to happen? Okay, have you then actually taken a step into living this out in a new way? Or was there somewhere along this path that you maybe got a little bit stuck? Because if we're living that new way, I think that means that we are living with an intentionality that can have a massive impact on this world. And so maybe even as I, as I close with some prayer here, maybe we'll just ask God to give each one of us just one thing this week. How can you be intentional in one way? All right, maybe you're not gonna go in and pay for gas inside of the gas station every time this week, but maybe you can do it once. And when you go in there, maybe you can actually step out and have a conversation with that person. Not just, you know, stand there awkwardly and put the card in and quickly get out as fast as you can. Like, I'm going to make a difference. I want to have an impact. I'm going to build relationships. God, I pray for every single person that, that is here today, Lord, that, Lord, every person that is, that is looking at your word, God, as we, as we go through the book of Ephesians here, that this would be something that would not would not just kind of enter our ears and just sit there, God, that we would do something with this. We'd be changed by it. We would have action that is put to this. So Lord, we, we ask right now that each one of us, God, that you would just 
begin to challenge us this week. God, move us from being comfortable in life to being a little bit less comfortable, a little bit more uncomfortable as we step out of our, our areas that, that, you know, our comfort zone and we say, God, I, I, want to, I want to make a difference. I want to live intentionally. I want to change my calendar. I want to have some, some margin in my life so that when these opportunities come up, I actually can do that that I wouldn't view it as an interruption, but I would see it as an opportunity. And God, I pray that as, as those of us that, that consider ourselves to be following you, that as, as we do this to the best of our ability, that it would have an impact on the world around us. So Jesus, we, we give you permission to interrupt us this week, time and time again. Help us to have the eyes to actually see it. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.